Our second reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, read from the King James Version of the Bible. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed, and this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there is with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The word of the Lord. So, if Jesus came to reveal God, which is what Christianity claims, what does the first Christmas tell us about God? Two things tonight. God enters the mess, and God lifts the lowly. So, I'm sure many of you have your list of Christmas movies that you like to go out and see before the Christmas season comes. I've hit three of the six that I intend to see, but you know the, the movies, right? Some of them are older, Miracle on 34th Street, It's a Wonderful Life. Some of them are more new, Christmas Story from the 80s, Elf, 10 years ago or so. But the reason why we love movies like this is because they, they, they fit a feeling that we're trying to get a hold of during the Christmas season. There's a character or characters that you buy into that you really like. There's scenery that you love. It's New York at Christmas time, or it's Bedford Falls, or it's northern Indiana. It's some place that you would like to be with the snow falling and the street perfect and everybody happy. Usually there's some problem or some challenge or struggle going on, like unbelief or um, wanting a particular Christmas gift or... Well, uh, George Bailey gets a little bit overboard, so we won't go into his problem. But they're usually filled with fun. There's, there's laughter. There's, there's happiness and warmth. It always ends with resolution. Resolution of everything is okay. Everything is well and warm and happy. The Hallmark Channel has made a, a killing off of this all season. This feel, feeling at the end that you get. And I love Christmas movies, but the problem is they aren't what the first Christmas was like at all. The first Christmas was not beautiful and warm and cuddly. It was an absolute train wreck, a total mess. Let's walk through a couple of the pieces of it to help you understand. So the first thing is the angels, right? We have these pictures of these beautiful chubby cherubs, but the angels were the sort of thing people were deathly afraid of. Zechariah, at the beginning of the story of Luke, sees an angel of the Lord in the temple, and he thinks he's going to die 
Because if you see the angel of the Lord, you're dead. The shepherds who were mighty men who worked out in the field were sore afraid, according to Linus. You're not sore afraid of a chubby angel. And Mary was completely thrown, scared, unsure, what did this mean? These divine creatures are showing up everywhere and everyone is scared to death. And then think about Mary, the mom, right? So Mary is not a 40-year-old woman. Mary is probably a 15 or 16-year-old teenager. A virgin in that day and age would have been somewhere between age 12 and 17 at most. She's an unmarried, peasant, teenage girl. She's poor, probably slightly educated, and the angel of the Lord comes to her and says, hey, you're gonna have a child by God, and it's gonna be the savior of the world. She was probably hoping for something a lot simpler than that. She was afraid and deeply troubled. She probably wanted to live a simple life, and instead her life was gonna be filled with scandal and shame. And then there's the birth story itself, which we just had read. Caesar Augustus is ruler of the entire empire. He's shoving people around left and right, telling them what to do and where to go. So Joseph, betrothed to Mary, has to take his wife and go and be registered to be taxed to some foreign king far, far away. They have to walk 90, 100 miles, somewhere 80 miles, we're not sure. And while most tradition shows Mary riding on a donkey, I think that's being kind. There's nothing in the Bible that says she rode on a donkey. She probably walked if she was the average peasant. 80, 90 miles. To show up in a village where there's not really a proper place for them to stay. There's a little bit of room for them in what should be an animal stable. It smells bad. It's not the perfect place to have a baby. And it's there that she has the baby. And she has to lay him in a manger which is a feeding trough for animals. You don't have a crib, take the dog dish, put the baby in that. And I don't know how many of you have been a present or a part of a actual live birth. It is nothing like the nativity scenes. I remember being all gung-ho about being present until I was asked to be present. There's a lot of pain and sweat and blood and mess, it's not a, a completely clean sight, okay? It's not an easy thing to give birth. It's not the sort of thing that you make pictures of and send them to your friends. Well, some people do. <laughs> and then the visitors show up, right? Now, it, immediately after having a baby, Nobody looks good. I'm sorry, nobody looks good at that point. It's amazing, it's powerful, it's you know, life, all that. It, nobody looks good. And all of a sudden these visitors show up and the first visitors to visit Mary and Joseph after the baby's been born are shepherds. Shepherds were crass, low-level people. They were brutes. They were the sort known for catcalling when people walked by. They were inappropriate, they were scandalous, they were rude. Now, some of you love having visitors after you've had a baby. Some of the rest of you are like, no, everyone can just stay away till I'm home. That'd be great. Immediately after having the baby, these random group of construction workers show up. <laughs> yeah, you've just had a baby, and these guys show up, and they're like, hey, so there's a baby here. Great. 
Yeah, he's the son of God, supposedly. Can you just leave the room? I don't know who you are. This is not a simple, clean scene. It's an absolute mess. Sometime later, the Magi, basically a group of overdressed foreigners show up and start throwing gifts at your child. Can everyone just leave me alone? Mary's probably thinking. And no, as soon as Herod, the king of the region, finds out through the Magi, he intends to slaughter every male, two or under, every toddler and baby in the Bethlehem region. Joseph and Mary have to flee to Egypt. That's not an easy thing. They're on foot again, and they're probably homeless. They are refugees in every sense of the word. And then Jesus spends the rest of his life as a refugee, on the run, being hunted. Now think about all of those scenes, and think about putting them on one of those pretty Christmas cards. Right? I mean, you know the Christmas cards, especially the ones that have artistic scenes. There's the nativity scene um, ones, and they usually have the picture of the glowing, you know, kind of scene. Everything's pretty or cute. I mean, the angels, those things, you'd be so afraid of those things, right, in the first picture. The animals do not smell. They've been to the pet spa. They are clean. Everything is perfect. The shepherds are like their best friends. Come on closer. And then think about the pictures of the Madonna and child, Mary with the baby. Now, I know there's actually iconic reasons to have some of these, and some of the, the, the imagery is there as a theological statement. But no mother and baby looks like this immediately after giving birth. The baby is glowing. It does not cry. When babies are first born, they do not look human. They look slightly alien. I was perfectly fine to not hold the baby for like a year. <laughs> then they start looking like they fill out a little bit. They start looking more cuddly. At first, they're not. This is a two-year-old. And not a human two-year-old. It's a doll baby. And not a real woman. It's a glowing painting. A true Christmas card would look more like a Syrian refugee running with her child, not knowing where to go, chased, run down, homeless, scared, helpless, and the baby just trying to survive. Go ahead and put that on your Christmas card next year. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Here, Mary and the baby. God entered the mess. The God who entered the mess of life came for you in all of your mess. And that's actually really hard for us. It's hard for us because we are success-driven people. We're concerned about getting in the top college. If you're already in your career, you want your career to be always heading upward. We are success-driven people, and we don't like to admit our mess, our struggle, our failure. We're also image-conscious people who become even more image-conscious. You look at Instagram, you look at Facebook, depending on your generation, and you're always putting forth your best. Nobody just takes random shots of themselves, like give your kids free reign to just take pictures and post them of you all day long. You would never do it. Many people are image conscious enough to have the side of themselves that they want the photo on when it's gonna get presented. They know this is the good side, this is not as good, so. We are success driven and image conscious. Look around. On a night like tonight, 
Every one of you is well-dressed. You come together as a happy family, smiles all around. Is that really the way life is all the time? Christmas tells us that God doesn't wait for us to get right, to clean up, to be ready in order to meet him. He wants us in all of our struggle and our failure and our shame. Now get this. If you, don't, if you haven't been in here very often, if you haven't heard this, don't be afraid. God is not looking for you to get right before you can get God. Jesus did not come for the good and the successful. He came for the messed up. He came for sinners, for failures, for the disgraced. If that's not who you are, or if you're not willing to see yourself as that, then you're likely going to miss Jesus. Most people, when he was around, did. God enters the mess, and secondly, God lifts the lowly. God lifts the lowly. What could be more welcoming and innocuous than a little baby, right? Except this particular baby and the acts and claims that were made about him later on instigated a conflict of cosmic scale. The question going around this baby was and still is, who has power and who is Lord? Who is in control, if you would? N.T. Wright, a New Testament scholar, put it this way, the birth of this little boy is the beginning of a confrontation between the kingdom of God in all of its weakness, insignificance, and vulnerability and the kingdoms of the world. And we get it right at the beginning of our very story that was read out of Luke chapter two. Caesar Augustus is emperor of the entire world, essentially. Caesar Augustus took over after Julius Caesar, his adopted father. He controlled princes and ordered peasants thousands of miles away to walk on foot in order to be registered, in order to be taxed, to give money back to him. He was in control of everything. He took over by force, and during his reign, Rome went from a republic to an empire. And that whole phrase, Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, spread everywhere was because of Caesar Augustus and his reign. And Caesar Augustus was not afraid to tell everyone about it. He was known to have claimed for himself, he, he called himself the divine savior who has brought peace to the world. Interesting. So in the first century, when Israel was expecting God to come and act on their behalf, to come and bring a Messiah, a Christ, the one they were looking for was somebody who would look like Caesar who would conquer his enemies, order everyone around, and do it for the people of Israel. And we don't get very far from this way of thinking ourselves. Because people who have power and authority come in great shows of power and authority. Do you know for a president to go on a foreign visit, go visit England or India for a week, is going to cost tens of millions of dollars. They're going to take hundreds of people with them, multiple airplanes, vehicles, helicopters. It is an entire entourage and tens of millions of dollars. When the queen traveled, she would take with her thousands of pounds of clothing, two outfits every day, and at least one black outfit in case somebody died on the way. 
The incarnation turns power and our expectations of kingdoms upside down. Because when God visited us, he didn't come with tens of millions of dollars and an entire entourage. He came through the womb of a nervous teenager. And as a baby, he was weak and vulnerable and helpless. Think about it. He was totally dependent on Mary and Joseph. Babies can't fend for themselves. He was absolutely and totally dependent. The God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, above time, beyond time, the God who raises up princes and destroys empires, the God who spoke creation into being, who scattered stars and gave the earth its frame, God who is Lord of all life, This God, Philip Yancey says, this God emerged in Palestine as a baby who could not speak or eat solid food or control his bladder, who depended on a teenager for shelter, food, and love. It seems that God arranged the most humiliating circumstances possible for his entrance. In Jesus, God experiences the exhaustion and the shame and the mess and the poverty, and the neediness, and the danger, and the violence of a fallen and broken world. Think about the contrast between the way of power that Caesar represented and the way of Jesus, and ask, who is Lord? Caesar controls everything. Jesus is born to rural parents. He's laid in a feeding trough. He's witnessed to by boorish shepherds. As Jesus grows up, he's rejected by the religious and political leaders. And the only people who follow him are the poor and the sick and the most sinful people. Jesus never stood before Caesar. And he was completely silent before Pilate, Caesar's representative, the one who crucified him. But a couple days later, the tomb where Jesus was laid was empty. And within a generation of Jesus, Roman emperors saw Jesus as a threat. Within three centuries after Jesus, all of Rome was following him. So from this very first Christmas, we're meant to ask, who is Lord? Who is truly in control? What does all this mean? First, in other religions, God is wholly unknowable, as in the Eastern sense, or God is to be feared, the Western sense. But in Jesus, God relates to us as one of us. He is God approachable, huggable, knowable. God wants you to know him, and you can approach him. That's what Christmas tells us. And the second thing it tells us is in Christ, God comes in total humility. And he offers salvation through himself to the humble and the lowly. It's not the proud or the powerful or the successful or the good or the pretty who get in. It's those who realize they cannot save themselves. Those willing to be totally dependent on him. The one lying in the feeding trough who is truly Lord.
Let's pray. God, centuries ago, if these things are true, you entered humanity in the most unbelievable way possible, entering our mess, lifting our lowliness, and offering us the sort of life that we cannot have on our own. If this is true, give us eyes to see and to receive the one who was born to us this day in the city of David, Christ the Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.